Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting, and I have a very special guest today, Evan Maurer, COO of SIGFIG. Welcome, Evan. Uh, thank you. Pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm actually technically the CCO uh, at SIGFIG and the uh, Vice President of Operations and Finance. Ah, so is just that so- the very sexy Chief Compliance Officer yes. title? Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's, the, it's the best promotion in the world because it, it comes with no additional money, but it does come with the possibility of going to jail. I've, I've so, shared that title yeah. in my past, and it is something – it's a, the gutsy man taking that on. <laughs> That's right. Or, or a man with nothing left to lose. <laughs> That's actually really good. Uh, so SickFig is an awesome company. You guys – you give a quick summary, but – you guys are basically a robo-advisor. We'll talk about whether that's a good term or a bad term in a second. But basically kind of smart, intelligent investing on behalf of the public and making sure that people are not getting ripped off by their brokers and actually the money compounds and we can all retire and be happy and live ever uh, happily ever after, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the idea. Um, you know, I think the, the best summary of the company's philosophical underpinning is – uh, you know, our CEO, Mike Shaw, has has his email signature. It's just, it's very E.E. E. Cummings. It's all lowercase, no punctuation, I recall. Uh, <laughs> it just says, invest better. And that's the goal, is just to help people invest better. And, you know, there's just been, as a veteran of the financial services industry, in fact, I think the reason I got introduced there and, you know, hit it off is not because I had this great tech background, but rather I'd worked in pretty much every part of the financial services world, except for uh, sales and trading and insurance. And, you know, having lived and worked in those parts of the world, there, there are a lot of good people in a, in a kind of broken system in a lot of ways. And so robo-advisors like Sigfig, Betterment, Wealthfront, uh, Personal Capital, et cetera, they, um, you know, they were founded with this idea of like, well, we can do better. We can use technology and modern portfolio theory to, to help people invest better. Yeah. It's super compelling. Actually, Vanessa invest that way. Yeah. But maybe you could talk about how you invest better. Like, what does that mean? Sure. Uh, so it's, uh, it, it can get really complicated if you want to really kind of nerd out on the finance of it. But basically anyone who's maybe taken a fi- uh, like investments or finance or corporate finance 101 class, you might've heard of this thing called modern portfolio theory. And that's a, a catch all term for a lot of Nobel prize winning work that basically said, okay, markets are efficient. And what does that mean? Like, if Google is trading at you know three hundred ninety one dollars per share, that is exactly the fair value of that at that given amount of time. And there's basically the efficiency of markets suggests that you can't just like do a bunch of research, more research than the next guy or gal, and then beat the market. Yep. Now that stands in direct contrast to what the investment community has kind of argued for a hundred years, which is invest with me, I'll make you more money. I'm a great stock picker, or I have a, a great tip. Yeah, or, or I do great research. Yeah. And um, you know, philosophically, I've worked at hedge funds who their very existence is largely predicated on the assumption that they can generate what's called alpha, excess returns over and above whatever the market does. But the track record isn't very good, and not solely because I worked there. What's um, the stat? It's like 80% of funds in a given year underperform the market? It's, you know, depending on who is doing the measuring. And, of, of course, the biggest thing, and this we'll get to this when we talk about robos, is like, well, you might outperform the S&P 500, for example, right? But if you outperform it by 50 basis points, that's... 51 hundredths of a percentage point for those of you who aren't in the finance world. If you outperform by 50 basis points, but you charge 200 basis points as a management fee, well, 
you didn't really earn that, yeah. right? I mean, you, you, your client would have been better off just being in the S&P 500. And yeah, it is a big number. It's something like 75% or 80%. And that's in a given year. It. Yeah, right. And then when you yeah. start stacking like two, three, four, five years together, almost no one outperforms the market over five yeah, years. Yeah, I think over the last four years, not even, you didn't even have to go to five years, there isn't a single actively managed mutual fund that has outperformed the S&P 500 in all four years. And when I say actively managed, that is this concept of trying to generate alpha, of trying to beat the market. Yeah. Whereas passive instruments that we use, like exchange-traded funds, they tend to like just replicate an index. And so at our various custodians, and we're not a broker-dealer, we are just a registered investment advisor, we basically use their uh, liquid, you know, passive indexed uh, ETFs, exchange-traded funds, which are like a mutual fund with some you know, slight differences that probably aren't that germane to our conversation. But uh, we use those and the, the expense ratios on those, which is say how much it costs just to be invested in the fund on an annual basis, are between you know, 5 and 15 basis points on average. Whereas the average actively traded mutual fund, which, remember, historically like, does not outperform the market, charges up to 180 yeah. basis points so for like the really expensive ones. 20 to 30x more expensive. Exactly. Yeah. And if you just compound the return without those giant expenses, you actually – can retire faster exactly. and do better and it's it's astounding all the academic research says like low fee is the way to go yeah i mean basically if you buy the notion that you're not going to beat the market that, that you can't generate alpha by just doing more research and, and you know there's obviously there's a lot of people who don't believe that's true the old joke about economists who believe in efficient markets is like Two economists from the University of Chicago walk down the street. One of them points to a $50 bill on the ground and says, oh, a $50 bill. And the other says, no, it can't be a $50 bill. Someone would have picked it up yeah. by now. <laughs> so that's the joke. But if you, but if you, if you do believe in, in efficient markets, and this is what I would say, and I'll say this as Evan Marr, not as a representative of any company. I will say that, in my opinion, you, whoever's listening to this, <laughs> is, are not going to beat the market on average because you don't have 100 PhDs from Caltech in a skyscraper in Manhattan, you know, trying to find the best like quant arb trade. Yeah. You just, yeah. you, you know, and those guys work 110 hours a week. You're not going to beat them. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like the way Vegas, like no one just like walks into a casino in Vegas and says, I don't know, Tom Brady's pretty good. I'm going to lay the seven points for the yeah. Pats and then <clears throat> makes money consistently. It's the same kind of thing. Like the reason why there's casinos in the desert is yeah. because it works. Exactly. And the mutual fund, you know, those guys charge big expenses and that's, yeah. they're not necessarily delivering for their clients. I mean, I do think, you know, maybe the, the way I think about it, I have like half my money indexed, you know, and then I have half of it picking stocks that I personally like and I'm... 100% honest with myself and know that I will actually probably underperform, but it's kind of fun for me and I work in tech, so I feel like I have some insights into tech, so that's the money I invest in tech company, you know, but you should, you should be honest with yourself and not, not expect to like, you're not Warren Buffett, you know, it's going to be hard for you to beat the market. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, and, and that's, by the way, that's like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with yeah. that. And you know, if you derive some intrinsic value from like, I enjoy like, Having a hypothesis on a company, you just, that's all you should really be is just honest with yourself that like, if you're placing a trade being like, I really like Netflix, I like their product, yeah. like, are you really making the trade with some sort of informational edge vis-a-vis -vis the hundred PhDs in the skyscraper? Like, probably not, but that's okay. Yeah. You know, I, what you're describing is, uh, you know, some people would call that barbelling mm -hmm. and that's like, okay, I'm going to put, you know, X percent uh, into 
you know, and these passive indexing strategies that are just going to like track the market. And most importantly, it's not just like one fund based on your risk tolerance. And this is true of every robo advisor, not just SigFig. We will basically have our clients take a risk. Basically, it's a customer interview, a risk tolerance yeah. questionnaire, if you will. Which is brilliant, by the way. When you go sign up. It, it actually just figure it, you have to basically emotionally commit to your risk profile. Yeah. And there's something to be said for like clicking buttons that say, I want a super aggressive portfolio or I want a safe one. And that even that it's almost like pre marriage counseling a little bit. It's like, <laughs> Hey, let's make sure we're on the same page here. Yeah. Except you're doing it with a website, but it really does help you kind of, you know, boil it down for yourself. Yeah. I mean, our, our uh, director of research is a great guy. He's a PhD in finance and uh, former finance professor and he and our chief investment officer was also a great gal. Um, they work very closely to kind of hone the questions in that questionnaire so that we get an accurate picture yeah. of two things. Not just the individual's willingness to take on risk, uh, but also their capacity to take on risk. And the, the willingness is really more psychological and, and uh, qualitative, You're, but your capacity is a little bit more objective and quantifiable. Mm-hmm. So, And if those are in conflict, our philosophy is like your capacity is a little bit more important. We're going to weight that a little higher. And so here's an example. There's two examples. It, you know, you could have someone who's like 75 years old, re- relies on income from their portfolio to pay their bills and have a mentality of like, you know, let's let it ride. <laughs> and uh, we would say, well, your, your willingness is high, but your capacity is yeah. a lower. Uh, and on the other end of the spectrum, you might have someone who's 25 years old, but saw what happened in 2008 and says like, I just want to be 100% in cash. And it's like, well... You know, now you're just taking on a different kind of risk. Yeah. You're taking on the risk that your investments don't grow enough to, to help you retire. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of how it works. And the, the one thing that I haven't talked about, just for those people who are maybe are not as familiar with modern portfolio theory, is that you have a bunch of different asset classes. And in our case, they are, for example, U.S. equities, uh, international developed equities, uh, international emerging market equities, fixed income, uh, real estate. And there's a bunch of different asset classes. And this modern portfolio theory basically creates this efficient frontier that maximizes the expected return for the given level of risk that your responses to the risk interview suggest is appropriate for you. So diversification, diversification, diversification is is critical. And so one way that helps me think about that is... I always think that some asset classes at all times are doing well and some are doing poorly. Exactly. And if you mix it up, you have a shot at getting some that are good, some that are bad, but nothing tanks all at the same time and nothing goes, you know, as a rocket ship all at the same time. Yeah. And that's that efficient frontier you're building. By mixing your money, some of your money in real estate, some in bonds, some in stocks, and some internationally, you actually get a really nice diverse mix and nothing crashes, and it grows nice and steady over time. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the magic to diversification is, and this, again, starts to get, if you really want to nerd out, which I love to do on finance type stuff, <laughs> Me too. is, um, you know, imperfect correlation. And that's just so, you know, correlation between negative one and positive one, as long as the correlations aren't all exactly one, there is some benefit from diversification. Can you explain that for the audience real yeah, fast? Yeah, so, so let's see. Let's say Scott and I are playing... Uh, ping pong against each other. The correlation between my uh, success and his success is negative one <laughs> because it's literally if I win, he loses, and if he loses, if he wins, I lose. So that's negative one correlation. Now let's say we're playing doubles, and I'm playing with my wife Rebecca, and uh, and you're playing with you, uh, you know, your fiance Vanessa. Vanessa, thank you. And uh, then my correlation, which is unfortunate because my wife is a horrible ping pong player. <laughs> 
Um, but my correlation, uh, my correlation with uh, St- uh, Scott is going to be negative one still. But my correlation with my partner, my wife, Rebecca, who's lovely, is, is going to be positive one. Because literally, if I win, she wins. And if you now, so those are the two extremes perfect correlation and perfectly inverse correlation. Yep. That's negative yep. one. Everything else is kind of in the middle. Yeah. Right? Like, so, you know, a correlation of zero means that they are totally unrelated. So that would be like if Scott is playing against my wife and I'm playing against uh, Vanessa, then those, my success, my win uh, success rate and Scott's are totally uncorrelated. That's zero correlation. Um, and so the, the ideal you're, thing. You're shooting for a zero, right? Like you're shooting for low correlations between things. That or is you, actually a more complicated mathematical yeah, question that no. Aaron Gubin, director of research, <laughs> again, a very smart guy and a very good pitcher uh, as well, base, <laughs> plays on my baseball team, could answer better. But uh, negative correlations are fantastic because that oh, means neg- that, that's what you, okay, that, yeah. that means that when one goes up, the other goes yeah. down and you can use that that creates more that exp- that basically this is now we're really nerding out it moves the efficient frontier for yeah. the north now just before aaron yells at me i took the cfa exam and all these concepts are in the cfa exams literally 10 years ago so i am drawing on some dusty cobwebs i don't live in the algorithms anymore but yes the more uh the more the wider the range of correlations between asset classes the more the efficient frontier expands upward which is to say the the higher an expected return you can expect for a given level of risk. Yeah, yeah. So that was so really if, a mouthful. If, if we, if you're investing in Google and Facebook, they're going to move pretty similar. That, perfect. That's a better example. I, gonna, I don't know where ping pong came but from. If you but yeah. invest in like gold mines and Google, they're going to move pretty differently. Yeah. And you're looking for that kind of diversification over a lot of different investments. Yeah. Basically. So that's a, actually that was a better. I don't know where the ping pong came from. Maybe we edit that out. <laughs> but although I don't know, maybe it's pretty good. I actually got it. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So no, but that's a great one. Google, Facebook, and here's the problem. Like. People say, well, I'm in 30 different stocks. I'm diversified. It's like, well, oh, what are those stocks? Uh, LinkedIn, uh, <laughs> you know, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Netflix, Amazon. Yeah. Oh, so they're all U.S.-based tech companies. Yeah. Like, uh, those, are gonna be, those aren't going to be a correlation of one, perfect, but it, it's going to be high. Whereas, like, if you – here's a good example of negative correlation. Uh, oil stocks and airlines. Airlines, their biggest cost is the cost yeah. of fuel. So if the cost goes up, of oil goes up, th- their stock prices are going to tend to go down. And then on the other side of the coin, like oil stocks, obviously, when the cost of oil goes up, guess what? More revenue. So our stock goes up. So that, th- that's a good example of a negative correlation. And then like a, a, a zero correlation could be like Netflix and an Australian uh, copper mine. Yeah. Because like, like they either find yeah. copper or they don't. Yeah. It has nothing yeah. to do with yeah. what Netflix is yeah. streaming at any given day. And so the, the math that SigFig is doing is basically saying, like, we're going to diversify this for you as best as possible, but exactly. we're also going to do it as cheaply as possible, yep. which saves you a lot of money in fees. And that's yeah. like, those fees are like one gigantic variable that you can control. And that's it's why. the I, only one you control. Yeah, exactly. I love that about you guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. but plus, I have kind of behind the scenes, I have all these math guys figuring all this stuff out and doing all the work for me yep. and it's smart diversification exactly and so uh, when you think about fees and that's really where we focus on there's kind of three fees that the average investor pays depending on whether they're entirely self-directed or if they're you know if, if they're picking individual stocks or if they're picking individual mutual funds or maybe they're uh, maybe they have a, a registered investment advisor like a financial planner or a financial advisor that they're working with so number one is the advisory fee and that's if you're actually engaged with, like, I have a financial yeah. consultant or planner or what have you. 
And um, the average uh, financial planner in the United States, or financial planner is not the right term, but the, none of these things are a term of art. So let's yeah. just say financial advisor. Yeah. The average, if you're, and this is a registered investment advisor, not a, not a broker. Those are slightly different. A broker is going to try to sell you products manufactured by his or her, you know. And get a commission company, on And that. get a commission on yeah. that. And I'll talk. That's kind of, brokers are a little bit more old school now. Like, that's a less of a phenomenon. It, uh, they, they're still, like, out there and prevalent. But, you know, with recent changes to, like, for example, the Department of Labor rules around retirement accounts, they're not going the way of the dodo, but it's possible that their mm-hmm. share of the pie will mm-hmm. shrink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you have a financial consultant who, you know, charges you an annual fee, the average in the United States is like somewhere between one and 1.3%. 1. 1.3 yeah. is kind of... I always hear like one. Yeah. One to one and a quarter. Yeah. We see as high as 1.3. Um, and actually we see even higher. Um, and I think our data, so again, we have a big portfolio tracker product that we built that Self-reported, I think our data guys determined that the average was 1.3%, which is really high. We charge 25 basis points. That's about one-fifth. So that's the advisory fee. So right off the bat, we're a fifth the cost. Then you take it down to the next level. It's like, okay, the the expense ratios. And that's the cost of being invested in a mutual fund or Mm. or, uh, exchange-traded fund. We tend to use exchange-traded funds. Um, Now, if you're picking individual stocks, there's no such thing as an expense Ratio, you know, the expense ratio is the administrative cost of running the fund. Mm-hmm. You know, of investing, you know, the in the various companies. Yeah. And when that, you buy you know, the S and P five hundred index, you are buying a fund of some sort. It's exactly. just a low cost fund. It's just not managed actively. It's yeah. literally, it's just like whatever's in the S and P five hundred, we buy in yeah. the market weighted yeah. proportions. Um, again, mutual funds they can be as there are mutual funds out there that have like one hundred eighty seven basis point cost. Now that's not average. But they run from 50 to 150, kind of the, you know, again, there are lower ones and, and higher ones. We use uh, funds that are, you know, they start at five basis points. These wow. are big, liquid, huge ETFs yeah. that track like the U.S. total return index. So, so right away. So the competitor SIG FIG is already at kind of two to three percent fee structure. Right? Exactly. Yep. And bonds yield what right now? Yeah. Like 1%? <laughs> yeah, so exactly. you're actually like losing money on some of this in a, stuff. In a low-yield environment, it's really yeah. tough. And you know, you can talk about whether you think the risk premium is coming down. Like, Yeah, it's tough to justify yeah. those fees. So there is price compression. Yeah. Um, and then the, la- the third fee is commissions. And that is to say, you know, if you're trading your own stocks, well, every time you buy or sell, you're... Where, depending on your brokerage, you know, if you're E-Trade or Scott-Trade, it might be 8 bucks, uh, 10 bucks, 5 bucks, whatever. And so what we – and even though – even if you're buying like mutual funds, there's still like a commission on those, on those mutual fund buys and sells. But what we do is we work with a, a couple different custodians, uh, Fidelity, Schwab, TD Ameritrade. We're rolling on two others in the next few months. And we try wherever possible to use the brokerage-free ETFs. And so, for example, at Schwab, that's Schwab ETFs. Mm-hmm. And at TD Ameritrade, that's – correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron. He's out there somewhere. Um, uh, those largely Vanguard that are – again, they're on the brokerage-free list. And at Fidelity, it's mostly BlackRock, iShares products. And so if right away you just nip that out of the equation and now you do not not paying commissions on your ETFs, if you come into SigFig with – you know, a hundred shares of Apple to sell those out. First of all, well done. Uh, and then <laughs> number number two, you know, it'll you'll pay eight dollars to the, the to the not to Sigfig to the to the custodian, the yeah. broker who's going to sell that uh, the those shares for you. But then when you buy the brokerage for ETF, there's no commission. So we we cut that piece of the you know. So you're talking all in, you know, total cost of management if you're at Sigfig of like thirty five to forty basis points, wow. possibly even lower. And then, uh, and that differs, you know, depending on your allocation and et cetera, et cetera, um, versus, you know, up to like 3%. 
So it's just a it's a big it's, difference. It's a huge difference as as money compounds just over like over four time. or five years. It's yeah. a huge difference. It's a big difference. So. so you guys have nailed this. Like you're, I mean, wow. you are not you. You know, you're regulated in some ways. So you probably have to be careful what you say. But like you guys are kicking ass. The company's growing super fast. You raised multiple big rounds of capital. Like. What does it feel like to be on a rocket ship? Well, I would say, I'd say first off, you know, I would <laughs> putting on my chief compliance officer hat. I mean, everything I've just described are you know factual statements. Um, so I'm, I'm you know I'm comfortable. Like this would probably be considered to be uh, an advertisement, and therefore uh, you know I, I, I you know I don't want to make any misleading claims about performance or the you know so I, I just keep that always at all times yes, in the back of my of mind. Course. You know, one thing that's interesting is like, you know, there are other companies that do this and they're doing it well. And one thing that's different about us is we are not, we have a small business to consumer product where people, you know, can still sign up at sigfig.com and, uh, you know, and, and hire us to be their registered investment advisor and advise them on their, and we get discretion over their accounts and manage their, you know, money for them and, you know, as low cost, you know, efficient uh, way as possible. But there are other players in the space like Wealthfront and Betterment who, you know, raise big rounds and they want to build huge direct consumer brands yeah. and they're competing with the Schwabs and Vanguards and and honestly, they're great companies. Like I, I know the former chief compliance officer at Wealthfront, great guy. Um, I know a couple people in the you know uh, that are in the legal department at Better, Betterment, and all these companies want to do honestly is the right thing by their clients. Yeah. And so I respect that's the cool thing about it. I respect the heck out of them, and honestly, I, I hope that they are incredibly successful because our strategy is a little different. Uh, rather than you know, it's, it's expensive to acquire customers yeah. in this space, and so we partner with large financial institutions. The you know the one that's been announced so far publicly is UBS. Uh, you know they'll be using you know without going into too much detail. Some of our uh, tools, you know, to, to empower their advisors and their clients, you know, with this digital product that's you know, lower cost and, and so on. So that's a little bit of a difference between us and some of the other players uh, in the marketplace. But again, those players are trying to reduce everyone's costs and help them invest better. So I like I hope. Yeah. It, it, there's it's so, also just like it's a humongous pie. It's it enormous. is. It yeah. is like one of the biggest pies in the world. Yep. And. You know, everyone, there's just a lot of fat in the system. And you guys, and same with Wealthfront, and all these other guys are, are trimming the fat. And there's plenty of profit to go around for everyone at the end of the day. So it's yep. not, you don't need to like, you know, cut each other's throats. It's like you're going after, you're just helping people. And because the opportunity is so big, everyone's going to be successful. That's my hope. You know, I, I will say this again. I'm going to speak as Evan Marr here, not as a representative of any company. Um, but yeah, occasionally, because they are arguably close competitors, you know, Wealthfront and Betterment have uh, kind of snipped at each other. And my attitude, and I, again, I'll speak only for myself, is like, look, you're both great companies doing the right thing. Like, you shouldn't have, you know, to be training your guns on each other. Yeah. You know, and that's just my, but yeah. I mean, again, they're both great companies that are ethical and they're trying, in my opinion, so again, this is just Evan Mars' opinion, that are doing the right thing for their, for their clients, trying to minimize their fees get people started investing who might otherwise be intimidated. Like that's a good thing. Yeah. So, so if you guys are going the, you taking more of a channel approach, do you have to like call on the UBS, you know, advisors and how do you like, how do you structure those deals? Like you go, you get a kind of a deal with the, with big parent company UBS and then you go out and message to the advisors. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's just take the generic example yeah, rather than any one fine. particular partnership. Yeah. And, and the fact is every partnership's different, different, you know, banks or other financial institutions. They see, you know, put it this way, the benefits to a, a well-diversified, automatically rebalanced, 
uh, low-cost portfolio provided in a great digital experience, not just on the web, but also mobile, tablet, and even wearables. We we were actually the first financial services company to have uh, an app for the Apple Watch. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. we, you know, so, you know, that's kind of where the world's going. And, um, you know, even for old fuddy-duddies like me, like mobile first is like, is real. You know, those benefits inure to a broad set of demographics and user like use cases. It's not just the millennial who wants to get started. Yeah. Um, so different partners want to pitch it to different people. And so it might be that a bank says, you know, all of our accounts under X dollars, because they could be so-called Henry's, high earners, not rich mm-hmm. yet. Or they might be uh, so-called, that's like an incubation account, we call them, or an obligation account where, you know, my advisor has a re- relationship with a... $50 million, you know, client and his or her granddaughter has a $20,000 IRA. Like yeah. that, that's, that's like not that profitable to service, but if I can put them on a great digital product that yeah. automates a lot of the management, well then great. Then I've done my client a solid and I'm managing this person's money, even though it's not super lucrative. That's interesting. So it's less about kind of the return structure, more about like access and ease of use and things like that. It's, a, you know, honestly, it's, about, it's about all of those things. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just, it's uh, honestly, I totally again, see that, it's though. investing better, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so and some you know some uh, banks you know and other partners want to uh, use those to empower their existing advisors. Some want to use it for accounts that they don't want to have their advisors. You know, there's just there's tons of different ways. You know, it's like you know the internet originally was like just for looking at pictures online and maybe getting a, a Red Sox score. Yeah. And now like you know like it's, it's used for a lot of different yeah. things now. But it's, uh, I so. actually can relate in our business because one of Vanessa's key insights was putting everyone on these new cloud tools and it doesn't four years ago that was like super revolutionary but now Gusto and Zenefits and Bill.com sure. and Spensify are big companies now yep. and everyone kind of gets it yep. but like that's how Cruise Consulting has grown so fast that's it's great. basically adopting what the advisors and the banks are doing with you guys like oh this is a great tool yep. it makes everybody's life better let's use it like let's not be scared of it right yep. And sometimes, you know, like that, that those tools hurt our billable hours sometimes, but we're fine with it because that's, that's where the world's going and we can actually service more clients that way. And I think the advisors are making some type of calculus like that too. It's like, hey, this is going to make me more efficient and maybe I can call on more clients or maybe I can stay in touch with my clients better or my clients are just happier because they're using this and they're going to stick with me. Yeah. I mean, here's just like what I would call a like penetrating glimpse into the obvious and that is like... <laughs> Change is scary, right? Yeah. And I look, I'm no different than anyone. Like, change scares me. I like still use Outlook. <laughs> so, if, if, if anything, uh, <laughs> that that might be like the worst thing to say to a technological yeah, audience. Yeah, this guy yeah. still uses Outlook. So, I get it. And so, there invariably, there are some advisors out there for whom this digital, like, it was frankly, it was it was the traditional advisors, is my understanding, uh, that coined the phrase "robo advisor," in t- intending it to be a derogatory term. And like a robot can't provide the level of service that I provide. I, I don't want to cast dispersions on well-meaning financial advisors because you know I you know there's always going to be a, our, our attitude has always been. You know, there are some people in the industry who wake up every day and they say, my job is to put as many RAAs out of business as possible today. And I, I admire their passion, but that's just not how SigFig's seen it mm-hmm. historically. Uh, our passion and our, our view has always been, let technology do what it does best. Let the humans do what they yeah. do best. And, you know, the nice thing about technology is, like, it always builds the right amount at the right time in the right account. It doesn't forget to rebalance when you're portfolio drifts because uh it's not that big an account so it's not foremost on my yeah. radar i mean it's yeah. very dil- yeah. technology is nothing if not disciplined yeah and then humans you know there is a, humans are not going away 
you know, there, there's always going to be a level of human yeah. service. And so that's why we have financial advisors yeah. that can, you know, and a lot of our, you know, uh, other robos do as well, that you can call someone yeah. and talk to them and say like, hey, what's going on? It's interesting so, though to that term robo-advisor because I actually, it resonates with me and maybe it's because I'm a Silicon Valley person, but like, oh, I, it's so, it's so beaten into me that robots or machines can do a better job in a lot of like math intensive things or you know it, that is actually appealing to me yeah it actually is like part of the cell that's like the bar, part of the yeah, branding yeah you know i mean and i like talking to advisors once in a while and i have a great cpa brian process who's awesome but yep. like and he's helps us with a lot of tax stuff but like yeah i don't want to i don't want to mess with that stuff on like a daily basis i want to just yeah. have my portfolio run you know yeah there's a great uh very smart guy that uh that i would love to do some business with uh, someday uh, out there who has said and i think this is just a great analogy and that is you know in the mid 80s or late 80s you know intuit came out with like TurboTax. And everyone was just out there predicting CPAs are going to be yeah. out of yeah. business in five years. And it's like doom and gloom. And then guess what? Like, nope. The only ones who out of business who went out of business were the ones who were providing a commodity service for a premium price. If you that doesn't work, <laughs> but if you provide a premium service for premium price, yeah. then you can then you yeah. have a good business model. If but, you're if you're good at what you do, if you're a good advisor, whether you're a start, startup accountant like us or you're just wealth manager, you're going to move up the stack and you're going to provide exactly. high value, you know, yeah. advice. And frankly, that's probably what you enjoy the most. And like what yeah. we always say is like the tools we use, like QuickBooks or yeah. like some of these other tools. They get rid of the menial, terrible work that no one wants to do. Exactly. Like, yep. The most junior accountant doesn't want to like type in <laughs> expense reports. Right. You know, like yeah. no one, no human being wants to do that. Exactly. And so yeah. it's good that all of us as in, in these industries are moving past that. Yeah. You guys are the same way. Like you're yeah, helping th- people. That's the idea. Yeah. I mean, you, the idea is that in 2016, you have to provide a higher level of service than just mere asset allocation yeah. models that you rebalance once a year for, you know, 125 basis yeah. points. And that, you know, so... I, it, honestly, and just like the CPAs who you know didn't see TurboTax as a threat, but rather as an opportunity, you know, the, I think the advisors who are more forward-thinking and 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 do have that higher level of service, they see this as a huge yeah, opportunity. I totally agree. That's, so, not you guys, are, you guys I mean, I'm really happy for you because you guys. Well, thanks. You know. It's exciting. I know you probably can't make any comments, but it's exciting to see a company doing so well and an industry that's going so well. And it's like, it, like I, I always come back to that. There's just so much opportunity. You know, it is. This is like a ten-year trend that you guys are on, and even five years from now, we'll look back and be like, "Oh man, there was twenty percent adoption back then." You know, like, "Oh my gosh." Yeah, it's it's definitely. We always say it's early days in the time of Robo. There's a long. There's a, it's going to be a long. Trend. We hope. I mean, we'll we'll see. You know, the I, I think, but I think all the all the trend lines are good, and the tailwinds are, are positive. So yeah. we'll see. So where so where are you guys going? Like, what's the future? Like, in big announcements or big you know big trends that you guys are just starting to get going? Or you know, is it we, just execution right now? Like, get out there and just you know you have to balance you know execution with forward thinking. You know, you you can't you know what's uh, as uh, Tower of Power once said, uh, "What's hip today might become passe." So, so that's the first time Tower of Power has been quoted on the podcast. Really? I know. That surprises I'm, I'm me. Ashamed. Come I'm on, ashamed, yeah. Oakland Stroke, man. Come on, <laughs> uh, down to the nightclub, East Bay Grease. Come on. Uh, so, so yeah, no. And but what I mean by that is just uh, you know, Robo 1.0, as you call it, is like kind of established right and people have figured this out and it's a good product and people like it and so it's growing but you know you always you know the american one of the things i you know uh, scott and i are uh, alumni of the same business school <laughs> and uh which, which will go with nameless um 
But, uh, you know, one of the things I learned there is that I forget which guest lecturer it was said, the American consumer is good at nothing save driving marginal economic profits to zero. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know if you believe that or not. But the fact is, Americans are really good. Uh, pricing always comes down. It, do, it, it very rarely goes up in, you know, in, you know, in any industry. So every year you have to, in order to maintain you know, interest in your product, you need to continually evolve it. And so, you know, what we're working on today without disclosing anything is like really like, wow, that, that could be a powerful tool to continue to demystify, decomplex, uh, you know, decomplexity, de- de- the, you know, the investing world that's, you know, to a lot of people is just really confusing and yeah, scary. So absolutely. yeah, we're working on a lot of different things. We're going to go live with some partnerships, hopefully in the next, uh, you know, it's pretty near term, That's and awesome. um, yeah, it's exciting. So a lot of lot of activity. These Are days. you still managing to find time to play in your rock band? I <laughs> I am I am uh, a, a, a band that is impressively unsuccessful. And uh, my pitch to uh, our drummer who just joined was like, "Let me be perfectly clear: this will only ever cost you money. You will be able to maintain your anonymity uh, among uh, hot young rock and roll men or women. It's the San Francisco we don't judge." Either way, you will not become famous, and you will have an exact one-fifth share of the zero royalties yes. that we will never yes. earn. <laughs> do you guys write your own songs and everything? We, we do. We oh, do. that's We're awesome. On it. That's yeah, great. Yeah. No gigs No gigs to announce at this point. We're, we yes. actually just got a drummer like a week ago. so we're just Don't the drummers power the band? Isn't that like the much. whole thing? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Pretty much. So, um, uh, well, cool, dude. Well, maybe you could tell the audience where to find SigFig and, you know. Sure. Yeah, we're at www.sigfig.com. And, uh, you know, hopefully for a lot of you, We'll be rolling out uh, or powering a product with your primary banking institution over the next, uh, who knows, you know. So, um, yeah, check us out and uh, invest well. It's my advice to you. Awesome. Thanks for coming by, Evan. I mean, this is it is a great company, great product. Like, people should check this out. This is, you know, un- this is praise that the company deserves. Uh, so, well, please check it out. Thank you. Um, we try to do the right thing and uh, do well. And by then maybe we get like a robo advisor for writing songs for your rock band yeah. or something like that. Like, you know, like, <laughs> That's right. I'm trying to be as formulaic and automated as a songwriter as possible. So. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming by. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Bye. Bye.